Let me just tell you this, that's the only time I'm her boss, okay? Any other time, she's telling me what to do, okay? So don't, don't be fooled, all right? Hey, how many of y'all are pumped for Movement Weekend? That's what I want to know. Man, I'm feeling really good. Hey, let's do this for me real quick as we jump into another Book for Book Club. If you have a Bible app, if you've brought your Bible, just go ahead and make your way to 2 Peter. 2 Peter. All right, once you find it on your phone, once you just hold it up for me. Once you, just, once you find it on your phone, just hold it up for me so I can see it. Do you have it? All right, we got one, two, three, four. Okay, all right, we have a few. Anybody else got it? Who actually brings a physical Bible? Who has a Bible with them tonight? Come on now. Okay, okay, okay. All right, so hey, I only have a little bit of time to cover a lot of ground. A lot of ground, okay? This is called Book Club, so I don't want to rob you of just kind of getting a, just a high-level view of 2 Peter. All right, 2 Peter is, is three chapters long. We're going to cover a lot of Scripture. I'm not going to put it all up on the screen, but we're going to cover um, all three chapters of it and just extract from that kind of this main idea that I think will be very, just very important for all of us as we look to honor God with our lives in this world. So the audience here for Peter that he's writing to are churches and Christians in, in the area of Asia Minor. Now, none of us know where Asia Minor is. I could say that's modern-day Turkey. But some of y'all are sitting out there right now, and you're like, I don't know where Turkey is. You should just stay with Asia Minor. But it's, it's near Iran. It's near Iran. And he's writing to these churches, and this is 2 Peter. I know this may blow your mind. It's because there's a 1 Peter. This is his second letter. Now, his first letter to this group, this audience, was, was really to encourage them along as they were being persecuted. They're being persecuted, and he was trying to encourage them. This is a little bit different. In 2 Peter, he's addressing a different issue. He's addressing heresy. Now, there's a difference here. Persecution, this is the thing. Persecution comes outside the church. It's when attacks and threats are coming from outside of the church, outside of God's people. Heresy is error. That's what it literally means. It's error. And it comes from within the church. It's when error is bubbling up within the church and it's leading people astray. And in a lot of ways, the argument could be made that heresy is actually more dangerous to the church than persecution. So Peter's writing to this group, these Christians in this area, and he's, he's wanting them to, to, to stand their ground, to withstand, to withstand the, the temptation to be led astray. He just, he's basically telling them, hey, be established in the truth. Establish yourself in the truth. All right, so what I want you to see is this main idea. This is the big idea from the book. All right, the big idea is going to be this, is that you are effective against the lies of the world when you know and grow in God's truth. That's when you will be effective in this world. You'll be effective, not ineffective. You'll be effective in this world when against the lies of the world when you know and grow in God's truth. Now, in verse 112 here, look what he says. He, goes, he says this. This is kind of the main, 
kind of a verse he's launching off of here in for the first chapter. He says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you may know them and are established in them or established in the truth that you have. So that's really kind of, he's giving you the purpose statement right there. He wants them to be established in the truth. And what is he going to do? He's going to do this by way of reminding. Look, honestly, if you've come here week after week, Wednesday after Wednesday, you've been here for midweek, you show up Sunday after Sunday, chances are you have a lot of good information in your head. You have a, you have a lot of good knowledge. You have a lot of good knowledge. The problem for us, most of us, is not a knowledge problem. It's not that we don't know what we need to know. It's, sometimes it's not even that we don't know enough. Not that, not that um, we can't stand or grow. It's not that we don't know enough. It's that we don't walk in what we know. In a lot of ways, just like Peter, is that we're encouraged to walk in what we know is that we're reminded of things. So just as a reminder to you, don't despise reminders. You may get a lot of reminders from your parents. Hey, hey, don't forget, do your homework. Do your homework. As you're playing video games, you're just like, hey, don't remember you have homework. And you're like, I'm, okay, I know, I know I have homework. I know. You know, don't forget to take out the trash after dinner. I know, it's Tuesday. The trash comes. I know. I know. And the thing about it is that they're, they're not telling you that because you don't know. That's why it's called a reminder. You can't be reminded of something that you haven't been told before. The reason why you're being reminded is because you're being encouraged. You're being encouraged to act in a way, to act in accordance with your knowledge. And that is, in essence, faith. That is faith. And Peter is encouraging these Christians, hey, hey, walk in a manner in which God has instructed you. Act out what you know about God. Act out what you believe about God. Act that out. That is in essence faith, and that's what he's, that's what he's stirring, them up, stirring them up to do. Now, you're going to notice that I'm going to tease out a little bit of words here, and this is just a Bible study just a really quick Bible study um, just lesson for you. A lot of times you can extract and kind of pull an idea from a book or get an idea of what, what is this letter about by, by looking at the threads of the words that are repeated the most. So if you just look at the book of 2 Peter and you just look at words that are repeated, you're going to see things. You're going to see things like he's going to talk about knowledge a whole lot. He's going to talk about knowledge or, or a word connected to knowledge in some ways. It's a three-chapter book, and he brings up the idea of knowledge 15 times. So on average, that's about five times per chapter. And here, just in the, in the span of these verses with, with um, 12 through 12 and 13, what is he talking about? He's talking about reminding. Look what he says here. He says that... Um, Therefore, I, I intend you to always to remind you in verse 12. In 13, he's stirring you up by way of reminder. Verse 15, able at any time to recall these things. And even later on at the end of the book where these, this idea is bookended here, he says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring you up 
your sincere mind by way of reminder. So listen, don't despise a reminder. So when somebody says, Jesus loves you, I know, I know, I know. No, what they're saying is that, no, no, walk in that love. Hey, God is in control. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. No, no, live as if he's in control. Hey, it's not about you. I know, I know, I know. No, no, walk and live, act that out. Live your life as if it's not about you because it's not really about you. The reminders are there to, to propel and to be a catalyst for faith. Now, later on in the book, you're going to see that there's other people coming, and their words are not to be a catalyst for faith. They're actually trying to throw shade on the Scripture, and it's supposed to be a catalyst for doubt. But, but Peter's preparing us for those kinds of people. So the first thing is that, remember, he says he's established. He wants you established in the truth. I think it's important, one, to acknowledge something, because I don't want to assume anything in the room, right? There is a such thing as truth. There is a such thing as truth. All right? Now, we live in a world where you might hear terms like, I'm just going to live out my truth. I'm going to live out my truth. That pronoun is not necessary. It's not necessary. There is the truth, definitively. And in the first chapter, what what Peter's pointing us to is that it's the actual words of God. It is a word of God. You know how you know it's truth? Because it, 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 it correlates to what God has said. If it doesn't fall under what God has said, how God has painted reality, how he has designed everything, then it's not true. It's an absolute lie. There's no gray area there. So just play this out. I played basketball kind of growing up, and I still try to every now and again. But I I want you to just think about this for a second. Just you on a basketball court, five on five, three officials. And somebody grabs the basketball, and they dribble, they pick it up, and they dribble again, they pick it up, and they dribble again, they pick it up. What are you screaming for the ref to call? Double dribble. The ref calls a double dribble. And the player looks at the ref and says, what are you doing? That's double dribble. No, 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 no. No, no. I believe that the, when, I, when I pick up my dribble, I'm allowed to continue to dribble. That's your truth. My truth is that I can run with the basketball. Okay. Then you have another person over here who's yelling at the other person about, you, you have to dribble the basketball. It's a travel. It's a double dribble. You have to do it. But let alone that person, every time they dribble the basketball, they're running out of bounds. You know that line that borders the, the, the court? They're running outside. The ref's calling, you're out of bounds. They're like, what are you talking about out of bounds? No, 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 no. That's your out of bounds line, not my out of bounds line. No, 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 no. I, I believe that there are no out of bounds lines. All right? Okay. Then you got another guy over here. He believes in out-of-bounds. He believes in double-dribble and traveling. He believes in all that. He's legit. He, he's upholding everything. But every time he shoots a layup, he wants three points. Every time he shoots a layup, he's, he's doing that. And he's upset that the scoreboard's not reflecting three points for his layups. 
And he's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. How come I'm not getting three points? Because you're not shooting behind the three-point line. No, 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 no. That's your three-point line. That's not my three-point line. Listen, how, how much are you going to get accomplished in a basketball game like that? Some of you all have played in basketball games like that. Listen, we're talking about 10 people on a basketball court with three officials who can't agree. 13 people. And you can't even get through a basketball game. But however, with 7 billion people on the face of the earth, we think that everybody can live out their truth. And it's not going to bump up against anybody else's life and everything's going to be okay. It's not livable. So what he's saying is that, hey, conform your life to the truth. The truth. And you know the truth in it so much is that it corresponds with what God has said. This is God's basketball court. He's created everything. He's created the rules. He's created the guidelines. He knows how it works. He's the one that paints reality. So established in the truth. He says that to be effective, you have to know and grow. Those are two sides of the same coin. So you show what you know by what you do. If you don't do what you say you know, guess what? You don't know it. You don't know it. He's talking about more than just uh, an intellectual sense on what, what you believe in your brain. You show what you know by what you do. So, and, and growth is pivotal. It's pivotal. If you're not growing, then Peter's saying, I don't know if you know. If you're not growing, I don't know if you are really stable or firm or established. Because look what he says again, 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. What qualities is he talking about? Well, if you go back to verse 8 here, he talks about, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. But still, we're talking about what qualities. Well, you have to go above that one. And he says that here in verse 5, when he talks about the faith that you now have, the faith that you now have, make every reason and every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. Now, that's not an exhaustive list, but what he's saying is that, hey, if you know these things, you will grow in these things. And you show through your growth that you know. So grow in your faith so that your life is conformed to your knowledge of God. Grow. You have to grow. In chapter 2, all right, we move to chapter 2. And this is what he's saying. You have to grow in, in truth. You have to be established in truth because look at what verse um, one says in chapter two, it says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there are false prophets among you. You need to be firmly established in the truth because guess what? We live in a world of lies. We live in a world of lies. And in order for you to discern lies, you have to know the truth. So you have to grow in your faith so that you can actually discern lies from the truth. And I think there's a couple 
of things that, that get in the way of us really being able to discern lies in the world. But again, if you don't have if you don't have authority in your life, if you don't have something that is the conclusive truth in your life, if you're not following God's word, which Peter is saying is, is the truth, if you're not lining your life up to that, listen, everything that you're dealing with is just, it's just information, and you're going to follow whichever one makes you feel a certain way or that you like or whatever. But there's not going to be something that's going to hold you. And that's the difference between someone who has opinions and someone who has convictions. See, everyone here, we, we, we hold opinions. We all hold opinions. The thing about convictions is that they hold you. That's what makes you who you are. That's what allows you to stand when everyone else is running around like chickens with their head cut off. That's what allows you to stand. Because you know, and because you know, your body does what you know. You live that. But we get caught up. We get caught up for two different reasons, and I'm going to tell you two stories to show you how this happens, okay? I've told this story before with some kids and stuff like that, but I'm going to tell the whole story today. I'm going to tell the whole story today because I want to be a person of truth, all right? So I, a buddy of mine that I, uh, back in Mississippi when I was there, we were talking and Tiger Woods was about to kind of make a, the, his first comeback. And he looked at me and he said, man, Tiger's back and man, he's going to be in his first tournament. And he's just like, you know, hey, I think that, I think that he's going to, he's going to do well. I was like, man, he's not going to do that well, dude. I'm telling you, he's not, uh, it's, not the, it's not the same tiger anymore. He's like, no, man, I think he's going to do well. I was like, man, he won't, he, won't, he won't finish in the top 25. He won't finish in the top 25. God looks at me and says, no, I think he'll, I bet you he finishes in the top 20. I was just like, I'll take that bet. It's just a bet to see who's right and wrong. It's all about pride, right? Well, Tiger did finish in the top 20. He finished in the top 20 because there were only 18 people in the field. And I didn't know that. So I was duped. Why was I duped? Why was I led into that situation? It's because I didn't have the right facts. I didn't know the facts. And I was speaking as one who didn't know the facts. And I was wrong. If I would have known that there were 18 people in the field, I would have been able to assess that situation differently. But I couldn't because I didn't know the facts. And for you, that's where a lot of you are, is that you don't know fact from fiction. You don't know fact from fiction because God's word is not the litmus test that you're using. It's not how you're evaluating what's going on in your life. You're evaluating it like my friend did when I got him back, all right? Because for about a year, he was wanting me to join a gym to work out with him. And I'm like, bro, I'm not joining the gym because I'm not working out, all right? Come on, man, join the gym, join the gym, join the gym. One day, I just, I just told him, and I don't know why, and I, I was kind of joking, but 
Maybe I'm lying. I don't know. He, I said, you know what, man? I joined the gym. I joined the gym. He's like, you didn't join the gym. I was like, I joined the gym. He's like, if you join the gym, why don't you work out with me? I was like, I'll work out with you. But I avoided it the whole time. I avoided it. Every time he was going, ah, I can't make it. I can't make it. I can't make it. Finally, he cornered me, and he was just like, hey, when, hey listen, I'm going to be at the gym tonight. I know you're free tonight because your wife is with my wife tonight. All right? So we're working out tonight. I was like, fine. So I go home, and it's about an hour before he's going to pick me up. And I'm like, I'm still trying to get out of it. I don't even really want to work out. So I jump online, and I, <laughs> I, I, I join the gym. I do a membership right online. I drive down to the gym, get inside, and the guy's just like, hey, before you can work out in the gym, I have to do an orientation for you. All right, so, okay, do me an orientation, man. How quickly can we do the orientation? He's like, it take about, I don't know, 20 minutes. It's like, dude, it has to take 20 minutes because my friend's about to pick me up, and I, I need to be a member of this gym. So... He walks me around, does the whole thing, gives me my little key swipe card. I'm ready to go, and I'm feeling good. And right before I leave, I'm like, hey, man, can you do me a favor? What do you need? I was like, in about a half an hour, I'm going to come back in here. And when I walk in here, I need you to act like you know me. All right? I need you to act like you know me. He goes, what do you mean? Like, when you walk in, you want me to go like, Bruce. I was like, Exactly. Exactly. I need you to act like you know me, okay? He's like, hey, for good measure, my daughter's name is Riley, and she just had a birthday. I need you to ask me about Riley's birthday, okay? I need you to act like you know me, okay? He's like, okay, okay, okay. So I'll drive home really quick. I get there. Guy pulls up, picks me up, and we go back, we go to, we go back to um, the gym. Listen, when we get back to the gym, I'm like yanking on the door, trying to get in. The door's locked. Ryan, my buddy, walks up, and he's kind of like, he has his little key thing, and he's he like, you swipe in to get into the building. I didn't know how to get in the building, okay, because I don't work out there. So I didn't even know how to get in the building. So he scans it, and he looks at me like, I know you don't have a membership. I knew you didn't have a membership. I knew you didn't have one. I was like, what are you talking about, man? I forgot. I forgot. I forgot. So we walk in, and right when I walk in, what do you think my man does? Bruce. I was like, what's up, Gio? That was his name, by the way. What a fantastic name. I was like, what's up, Gio? So he walks over to me, pounds it out. We hug. You should see Ryan's face. You should see his face. He, can't, he, can't, he doesn't know what to do with it. He doesn't know what to do with it. And, man, he's like, and for good measure, Gio delivers, man. He's like, hey, man, how was Riley's birthday? I was like, man, we had a great time. It was a good birthday. Man, thank, thanks for asking about it. And, and I'm looking at Ryan, and Ryan's just like, I cannot believe that this is really happening. Well, the great thing about it was he, we worked out. He took me home. He goes, man, when are we going to work out again? I'm like, man, we can, we can work out again. But listen, first things first, I think you owe me an apology. <laughs> He's like, what do you mean I owe you? But man, you've been calling me a liar for months. You've been calling me a liar for months. Like, I don't have a membership, man. He's like, man, man, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. It's like, man, I didn't know you had a membership. And I was like, Ryan, I didn't until today. And I got out of the car and went back into the house. Listen, though. Ryan had been a member of this gym for two years. Two years. Never seen me there. Every time he's like, man, I never see you at the gym. I look at him and I'm like, I never see you at the gym either. Because I'm not a member. Two years. Never saw me there. Working morning. 
working out in the morning or in the evening and on the weekend. You've never seen me there. We walk up to the building, and I don't even know how to get in. Everything that you're thinking, everything that, that you're, you've been calculating is, is true. But when Gio yells my name and we begin to hug and all that's going on, his eyes, what he is seeing, what he's experiencing unravels everything that is reasonable in his life. Everything that he sees is unraveled by what he, by what he should believe and understand. He got caught up in that experience of like, you know what? If they're hugging, he knows his name. Man, I must be wrong. I must be wrong. And guess what? Ryan got deceived. Ryan went from trying to back me into a corner because he was so right to trap me, to show me that I'm not a member, to apologizing to me. How does that happen? You get caught up. You get caught up by something, and you don't know what's true and what's not true anymore. And it happens when you don't have the right facts, or you don't know the facts, and it happens when you get caught up in the experience of something, and your eyes and what you're seeing tells you a different story of what you know to be true in your head and in your heart. You get caught up in it. And I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it is for you that where you... You get caught up in something because of the experience. You get caught up in such a way to where you deny, you deny what is true and what you know to be true because it's based on God's word. So you need to grow in your faith so you can actually discern the lies from the truth. And that's the problem that these guys had. These false teachers came in, and what do they do? They do what false teachers do. They tell lies. And they not only tell lies, they tell lies about God. It's not that they're just trying to tell lies so that you might like them a little bit more. They're telling you lies so that you might be derailed from your faith. That's why he says that in verse 2.10, they blaspheme. 2.11, they're blasphemous. 2.12, blaspheming. 2.13, deceptions. 2.15, forsaken the right way. 2.18, those who live in error. This is, all, this is chapter 2. You just run through it. And it's all about error, false words, deception. And all of it is geared and focused towards God to derail you, to, to throw you off course. The biggest lie that these guys are believing in chapter 2 is this, is that they, God won't punish sin. And the lie that they're believing in chapter 2 is still a lie that many, many people are believing today, that God will not punish sin. But see, believing that God doesn't punish sin is very advantageous when you're living a life like these guys are living where the Bible says that they're given to sensuality, so they pull everybody else to that. Where they're, they're, they're in it for their greed, it says. It's all about what makes them feel good, what gives them power. And listen, when you live that way, what you have to do in your head 
is that you have to find a belief system that fits the way that you live. That's what you're trying to do. If I'm going to live this way, and I'm going to treat people this way, and I know that it's in opposition of God's word, what I have to do is I have to throw shade and I have to cast doubt on the very thing that indicts me, the very thing that says that I'm in sin, the very thing that says I'm wrong, I have to throw doubt on that. And the doubt is this, will God hold me responsible for this? Will he, res- will he hold me responsible for this? And you know what the Christians are saying? You know what the Christian um, statement on the issue is? Yes, he will hold you accountable. Yes, he's going to judge sin. In chapter 3, he's going to talk about, well, then, if he's going to judge sin, then we're, like, is he coming? That means he has to come back. When's he coming back? And I might ask you, it's, it's, now it's been over 2,000 years. When's he coming back? And listen, it's not that they have answers. It's not that they have answers. People rarely have answers about that when they start assaulting or attacking the Bible. What they're doing is that they're just raising questions, sprinkling out little questions, enough to make you doubt, to make you pause to get you a little wobbly, to get you a little unstable. And then that's when you're vulnerable and can be led astray. You remember, like, this is exactly how it happened in the garden. It's exactly how it happened in the garden. What did Satan say? Did God really say? He just asked the question. Did God really say? Hmm. But then he shows his true colors is that when she says, no, no, if I eat of the tree, I will surely die. And then he goes into full-blown opposition. He wasn't, just throw, he wasn't just floating that out there. No, and then he says, no, no, you won't die. Now it's an outright lie. It's an outright lie. So it's not that the, the tactics are the same. And what these false teachers are doing in chapter 2 is they're just show, hey, they're showing you, hey, look, God will not punish sin. And they're saying, and what Peter is saying, he absolutely will. He absolutely will punish sin. In chapter 3, it's, it comes out here in, in, um, with that key verse in 3, 11, and, and 12. He says, since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hasting the coming of the day of the Lord? All right, so the, really chapter 3 culminates in a question. And that question is on the basis of this, is that he's saying, hey, Jesus is coming back. There is a judgment coming. There is the fulfillment of the promise that's going to come. And that's why he says things like this. You should remember the predictions of the holy prophets. He says that, he says that when they say, where is the promise of his coming? You know what? They deliberately overlook some facts in the Bible. And he answers those, those lies and those insinuations with facts from the Bible. If you're going to twist and assault the Bible, he answers those things with what? The Bible. If you're going to cast doubt on the truth, he just comes around and he answers those things by the truth. And the best thing that he has is the word of God. 
not his own reasoning, not his own logic. The best, the best weapon he has is the truth of Scripture, and that's how he goes about it. And then, and then he, just, he just says this, hey, if, if all of this is going to go down, if the world is going to end like we're saying that the world is going to end, if judgment is truly going to come, if you really believe this, he's saying, what kind of li- lives should you live in holiness and godliness? If you're really waiting for these things, how should you be approaching your life in the last days? And we are in the last days. How, how should you be approaching your life if this is the true rules of the game of basketball? If the creator God is really the one running the world and it's going to end in this way, are you playing according to the rules? Are you believing how all this will go down? So he's saying, hey, you better grow in your faith because you're waiting for the promised new heaven and new earth. Can I just make it sound really strange for a second? Let me just, let me, let me tell you, if you're a Christian in the room tonight, what you're waiting for. If Jesus doesn't, if Jesus doesn't come back before you die, you're going to die. And if you have trusted in Christ, all right, to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. Your soul, you will be in the presence of Christ. You will be with Jesus. Your body will be in the ground somewhere. And your hope is that when when Jesus comes back and he burns up this world and it's consumed with fire and he purges everything and he makes the new heavens and a new earth because he will establish his perfect king, his first perfect kingdom where righteousness dwells, where there won't be any problems, where there won't be any more lies. There won't be any more opposition to the word of God. Everything, just like it originally was in the garden, will be completely in conformity with his word. And when he comes back, what he's going to do, he's going to take your soul, your spirit, who you are, and he, just like he did Jesus, is going to take your body out of that ground, join that back together. You will have a glorified body, and you will be just like him. You will now have a body that can endure all of eternity, and you will live forever and ever and ever and ever with King Jesus. That is the hope of the Christian. You're not living for this world. It, it's crazy to think that we should live for this world. If I called you and said, hey, look, I'm going to give you a house. I'm going to give you a house, and you have, you, have, you have the choice between two homes. You can have this house and the, or this house. Now, both of them are pretty much the same size. They pretty much have the same amount of room, same space, whatever. You can have either one of them. Either one of them is yours. But I want you to know that in a week, this house right here is going to burn down. Which one do you want? Yeah, you're going to pick the one. Like You're not going to pick the house that you know is going to burn. You're not going to invest. You're not going to move all your furniture in the house that's going to burn to the ground. You're not going to invest and take the time to do that and move in and get all comfy in something that's not going to last. And that's what God is saying here. He's saying, this is not the last stop. This isn't the world that you're living for. You're living for the new heavens, the new earth, the new world. 
This is not it. Don't get comfy. So if this is all going to happen, what, how should you be responding? How should you respond? Just a few quick things right here. Just a few quick things. He tells us here in verse 14, 314. He says, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. The expectation here, like we're waiting for these things. What are the, these things? Meaning that this, we, we are waiting for the world to end just like Jesus said it's going to end. That's what, that's what the Christian is waiting for. Our, our present actions, our current activity is gauged by a future event. And that future event is secured by what happened in a past event on the cross. The completion of the work of the cross is going to happen when Christ comes and he judges the world. This is what he's showing us here in Peter. Because he's going to do right by it. So our present day actions are informed by a future reality. So how should we do? We should be living holy and godly lives. You know why we should live holy and godly lives? Because that new world, that's where righteousness dwells. That's, what's, that's the, going to be the culture there. That's why you don't, when you live a holy and righteous life in this world, you stick out like a sore thumb. That's why you feel odd. That's why people look at you odd. You should be looked at in this way because your conduct and your behavior doesn't fit this system. It doesn't fit. You know why? Because you're not living for this system or living by these rules. You're living for the one to come. And when that world comes, that's been the one that you've been preparing for. That's the one you're preparing for. So you live a holy, you live a godly life now. Now, because that is what you are anticipating. So live like you believe the gospel. The second part is this, is that now you have, you have an opportunity ahead of you. You have an opportunity ahead of you because you know what? You picked the right house. And you have a lot of friends, and there's a lot of people in the world who are picked the wrong house, the house that's going to burn to the ground. And guess what? You know something. You know something that, that so many other people in the world do not know. And you have the opportunity to share the message for them so that they can escape it like you did. You escaped, not because of your own doing, not because of your own good works, not because you're so awesome and special, but because of what Christ has done, and you put your trust and your faith in him. You escaped it. Look here in chapter 1. I'm reminded, he says, of people who are partaking in, in um, the divine nature of God, and they're banking on his promises, and said, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. And then later on, he says that having forgotten that we have been cleansed from our former sins. Like he has completely, completely saved us. And now we can, with that message, help other people escape the judgment that is coming. We have a chance to evangelize. Look what he says here in 15. He says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom. Remember, they're, tell, they're, they're saying that, you know what, your, 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 your Christ is not coming back. God's not coming back. He's not judging the world. He, he's not slow. 
He's not slow in that. He's, he's coming back. But his patience for you means this, salvation. While he's still waiting, while he's waiting to return to end things, every single day he doesn't return is an opportunity for somebody to repent and to be ready for when he does return. And the ways that people repent are hearing the message of the gospel that's saved by you, and that's the opportunity that you have to share the gospel. And a lot of times we don't share the gospel. And I'm not, like, if I have to be honest, and, I, and uh, like, I'm, I'm, like, I'm proclaiming this to you right now. Sometimes do I even live like the reality that, you know what, this is how the world's going to go down. And the only way out is the gospel. It's the only way out. Christ is the only way out. And Christians, you're the only one that know. You're the only ones that know it. You're the only one that knows that. And we withhold the way out from people when we don't share the message. And we don't share it for multiple reasons. We don't share it because we're scared. We're afraid. I want you to think about that for a second. We're afraid to give people the remedy for cancer. We're afraid sometimes to, to, to tell people about the, the, the hope of our lives, the hope that can be their hope. We're, we're afraid of that. And listen, I'm not, I'm not saying that to heap condemnation on you. I don't understand why I'm afraid. When everything in my brain says it's reasonable to warn people, it's reasonable to lovingly come along to people and say, there's a better way. This is not it. It's completely reasonable because it's true. It's true. But we're scared. We're afraid. We need God's grace to help us. But if you're not scared, sometimes we don't share it because we're snared. A snare is a trap. And what do I mean by a trap? Well, we're trapped because we believe these things up here, but our faith isn't growing, and our morality and our lives don't line up with what we say we believe. So we can't, in good conscience, talk to anybody about Jesus because our lives don't reflect it and we know it. So the very message that we do know and we say we believe, we're afraid to talk about, and then we're also, we're, we're trapped because of our own lives. We know that our lives don't have the credibility to stand up with the message that we're saying we're talking about. So either you're scared or you're snared. And I'll end here. He says here in 17 and 18, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, and if you have ears tonight here, because, beloved, you, you're hearing this. You know this beforehand. This is how it goes down. Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Don't be carried away by the lies. Don't be carried along by the My Truth movement. Don't let some smooth-talking celebrity, songwriter, actor, actress, the philosophers of this age 
woo you by some experience out of the truth. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. So know God's word. Know it. Know the facts. And not just know the facts. Believe them. And you'll show that you believe them because you will live them. And your, your current actions, your present day actions will point to your future hope. And when in the world of lies, you will be the most effective. You'll be most effective in this world if you're establishing the truth. In this world. Because in the next world, that's all that there will be. So do now in this world what you won't have an opportunity to do in the next world. So that others will have the hope that you have and you'll be taking some people with you. Hey, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the night. Thank you for this group. Thank you for truth. Father, I pray that we would, we would not be carried away. Help us not to be carried away. Help us to believe what you have said and help our lives to be conformed to it. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. And we expect big things from you. Not, even to, not only today, but even this weekend. God, work in our lives. Help us to lay aside what we need to lay aside. And help us to pick up the things we need to pick up. We pray and we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody said.